Blessed are those who thirst for righteousness, for they shall be filled. Hello and welcome to our Thirsty Podcast. My name is Jeremy Lightman, and I am here with Zoning Commissioner. Our guest today is Wayne Olhorn, and uh, we are glad to have you here, Pastor Olhorn. Yeah, it's a pleasure to be here. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah, that's a, so that's tell a good us a thing. little bit. I was just going to say, Wayne, usually we just call guys by their first name. So you got pastor. Oh, well, mission counselors always aren't considered real pastors. So that's even more of a compliment. Uh, <laughs> so, yeah, I know Jeremy is going to ask you this. Tell us, well, before you get into your current ministry, what kind of ministries did you have in the past when you were a real pastor? Yeah. Um, well, I was blessed to be able to serve all over uh, this great United States. I started out in a dual parish in North Dakota, right out of the seminary. Um, then I served out in Baltimore, Maryland um, for six years out there. Then started making my way back across uh, the country and was in Colorado Springs for 15 years. Um about five years in Carlsbad, California, that's north of San Diego. And it's just been the last two that have been a, a mission counselor for home missions. We're in North Dakota. Uh, Valley City and Jamestown. Those were the two, two congregations, two cities where I served. So, Wayne, as you've been a pastor, all those different places, you know, from the East Coast to the West Coast and in between, what's kind of the, what made it difficult in some of those areas? You know, what did you find that the East coast is more difficult than say North Carolina, North Carolina or North, North Dakota, I mean, uh, versus California. What did you find out? Yeah. I mean, it's, you're, you're right. There there's differences living in different parts of the country. Um, in, in the people out East in, in Maryland and, and other places we travel, they're very forward, kind of in your face, but you know, you always knew where you stood with them too. Um, North Dakota had some of that Midwestern nice uh, politeness, um, but you didn't always know where you stood with the people there. Uh, West Coast, um, we weren't really near all that, you know, Los Angeles uh, stuff, but uh, in fact, San Diego County um was was pretty conservative we were very close to camp pendleton a lot of marines retired marines navy in the area um so you you find differences in people um but you know when it comes to ministry and gospel ministry you know there's a lot of similarities especially when it comes to uh sin and then of course god's grace So what is, uh, what other extra synod duties did you have while you were a pastor? Yeah, a uh, little of this, little of that. Um, but it was in Colorado that I started really doing a lot of the home mission stuff. I, I was uh, a mission pastor of what we call a restart in Colorado Springs. And I suppose about five or six years into that, I got... Um, assigned to be a part of the district mission board. And then I was a chairman for about nine years in Colorado. Um, when I took the call to California, kind of gave up a lot of that uh, 
home missions things, or so I thought, um, because six weeks later, I got asked to serve as the chairman of the board for home missions. And so I, I was that for those kind of five years until I, I took the mission counselor call. So yeah, over the, over the last 20 plus years, I've been involved in one way or another, whether, you know, a part-time or full-time basis with, with uh, home missions. Once you got to uh, Colorado there, I wonder what in the world would ever make you want to leave the, the paradise that is the Nebraska district? Right, right. Well, I could ask you that same question. Yeah, you could. <laughs> uh, yeah, well, and uh, most recently we moved back. So I at least reside in the boundaries of the Nebraska district because we're back in Colorado uh, where we reside now. So, Wayne, why don't you explain what the work of a BHM chairman is? Because we've kind of talked in the past episodes about the work of a mission board and mission board chairman. We had our Southeast Wisconsin District Mission Board men on. I've talked a lot about my role as a chairman. But what does the BHM chairman do? Yeah, uh, it's, it's not as fun a job as you have, Michael, because, you know, you get to visit missions and visit with pastors and, and, and talk with the guys, uh, the BHM chairman, you're kind of, uh, that's kind of administration of all of home missions. And so you're, you're overseeing all 14, I guess, of the district mission boards that we have. You work closely with the administrator and the director of mission operations. And we would have, uh, every week, um, hour and a half teleconferences and you get a lot of emails and, and then the meetings and, and the travel that you do is all back to Milwaukee or Waukesha um, uh, and meetings there. Uh, you're also on the Synodical Council. So you're a, a voting member as one of the board chairman of one of the areas of ministry. Um, and then you are on the joint mission uh, commission and committee where home and world missions kind of collide and you have outreach being done in the U.S. that has ties to a, a foreign country or a world mission. I, I don't know if I mentioned this to you, Michael, but um, Pastor Olhorn and I have a connection from uh, my Kansas days that uh, his sister was our preschool teacher and uh, then her husband, Stefan, um, what exactly is his position now? With well, the now he's the, the world mission uh, director of mission operations. Is so, that different even from what uh, he, he was when he was commissioned from Kansas? Right. Then he was, he was just, just for the Africa side of things and, and sort of the director of mission operations living in Africa and working out of Africa and just taking care of all the business and other arrangements there. Now it's it's that, again, big oversight position of all of uh, world missions, all the different fields. So Wayne, one of the things that we, or one of the positions we've been calling for the last few months is a board for home missions administrator. How is that position at Senate office different than the chairman and what does that administrator do? 
Yeah, the administrator is there doing the day-to-day operations. You know, it's his full-time job. And so he gives his full-time attention to everything that's related and, and keeping that, that ship floating and, and on course, uh, implementing decisions that the, that the board makes. So one of my jobs as, as the BHM, Board for Home Missions Chairman, was chairing that executive committee that makes all the prioritization and financial subsidy decisions uh, with our Wells missions. And so once you make those decisions, like in the spring of the year, and you authorize, you know, six or eight new mission starts or enhancements, um, and you approve all the subsidy agreements with all the existing missions, then somebody's got to administrate all that and make sure it's all happening. Um, And that's what, you know, the administrator who works out of the the Wells office, the CMM, that uh, Center of Mission and Ministry, that's what that administrator does. The chairman, you know, pops in, he's got his own church, he's, he's, he's a shepherd of his own flock, but then uh, spends a part of his week and, and time um, collaborating with uh, the administrator and, and, you know, helping, helping him, I guess. So yeah, if I, it, could I make a comparison and see if that's uh, fair, fair to say that is your job kind of like what Congress is to the government that you've got your, you got, you got your uh, hand, you got to make decisions about uh, the purse strings where the money is spent, but then it's kind of like the executive branch rolled in that you're, you also got to be the president and make sure it gets uh, administered, like ex, ex, execute the plan as well as decide where to spend the money. Is that- yeah, that's a pretty good comparison, right? Because then those those local senators and congressmen head back, you know, and do their local, you know, work. But uh, you know, come together, um, and somebody's got to chair that and and make the thumbs up, thumbs down on spending. And but then once those decisions are made, then yeah, then then the local people have to make sure and, and carry them out. Well, I know Wayne, you and I have talked about the. Uh, board for home missions administrator position because it's been open for a while and I know I've, I told you I've had a couple of people suggest that I should be called to that position and I told you that well that would be great except for three things that I don't want to have to sit in senate office every single day uh, I don't want to have to be nice to people all the time <laughs> and I don't really want to be dealing with money and budgets but yeah, those are some of the math you have to know yeah. math. That might disqualify you, Michael. Well, and, and my wife would say, you do know math. I just don't want to have to deal with math. That's why I rely on you. So, Wayne, why don't you talk about what your role is as a mission counselor? Yes. Yeah, so a mission counselor really works for the mission boards that he's assigned to. So uh, I work for the Southeastern Wisconsin District Mission Board and three other boards. And that that work is sometimes uh, necessitates somebody to be out in the field, exploring new potential mission fields, working with a brand new mission pastor and a brand new mission, helping a more established mission get to a certain stage. Um, and, and it's just hard for you and the others on the board to do that since you're all volunteers. 
Um, and, and you have pastors and teachers that have calls and, and men on the board that have jobs. Um, and so a mission counselor is usually somebody that has experience in all those things. So I guess I could be thankful, right, that the Lord had me serve all across the nation um, and in various roles in home missions. Um, I've got that experience that I can help uh, a, a local group or individual or pastor or congregation um, have their idea about starting a, a home mission, see that through the whole process. So with that, what is a mission, whether it's in our district or another district, that you're excited about starting soon? Well, should I talk about Cedar Lake? Sure. You can start, you can talk about Cedar Lake because we've got, you know, I'm going to be giving a presentation at Water of Life on Sunday and then a pa at Pastors Conference next Tuesday and then for a mission festival on the 110 that we want to be starting 100 new starts new mission congregations over the next uh, 10 years. So that comes to about uh, 10 new congregations each year. And, and I'm prepared for the, for the brothers, my pastors that are going to challenge, well, how can we do that? We don't have enough pastors. And yet to understand they were already starting like six to seven new congregations every year. So this is only be three more. And then we want to do about 75 enhancements. And that'll be about three or four more each year than we're doing right now. But yeah, if you want to talk about uh, Cedar Lake or, or Whitestown, those are in our district. Yeah. So, so Cedar Lake uh, is a good example of something that I can get excited about. Uh, you, it's right over the border uh, of Illinois. A lot of people are relocating there and moving there and there's not a lot of churches and, and so when you have a place that is fast growing and there's not a lot of churches, so the, the, you know, the good news of Jesus is not necessarily getting out to, to all those people that, you know, people, they, they don't just look up a church, uh, the, the first thing when they move. Um, and then you've got, uh, you know, a congregation, a couple of them in, in Crete, Illinois, that have some members that live over there. Um, and have formed a, a core group and are interested in seeing a new mission started, um, then, then those are the ingredients you're really looking for um, that make for a good start. Um, people, uh, a lack of, of faithfulness to gospel ministry and message being proclaimed, and uh, a core group of people that uh, see it as a good idea and want to be a part of it. By lack of faithfulness, you mean like that's that's what you were saying with the there aren't a lot of churches in the area, right? Right. So, and and um, it you know that combination of there aren't a lot of churches in general, and the churches that are there aren't what we would consider you know faithful to a a law and gospel type uh, message, um, and pointing to Christ crucified and risen as, as the way to salvation. So then that's where we go. Well, that's where we want to be then. So Wayne, how would you answer? You can help me out with this when I have to give my presentation to the pastors on Tuesday. How do you answer the challenge when these guys ask, well, why are we looking to start new churches when we have so many existing churches that are dying? 
Right. And, and you and I and, and others get asked that question a lot. Um, I, I think a couple of my stock answers when that question arises are, well, first of all, um, it might just be that this is a spot where they're just, it, we don't have a presence and, and we want to be there because um, without our, our presence there, there, there are going to be people that, that may never hear about their savior, Jesus. So that's one thing. Another thing is um, that there's, you know, measures being taken when it comes to recruitment and whatnot um, to, to get more people excited about ministry and some of these home missions that God willing, we can start. A third thing is uh, whether we like it or not, some churches are closing and might even uh, not be a bad thing if they do, as long as, uh, the people can still be served and a new ministry can begin. Um, that happens in churches that you have a committee or group and it has a, a nice run. And then 20 years later, it isn't serving a purpose. So you uh, transition from that ministry to a new type of ministry that can also happen with, with congregations. And then the fourth thing I always come back to is there's always a reason to not do mission work? Um, are we are we going to give in to that every single time and not start a mission or not make a prospect call um, or not? You know, are we are we really going to always find a reason to not do something? Or finally, are we just going to go? Hey, there's urgency to spreading the gospel. Let's do it now and and you know, by God's grace and blessing, overcome the challenges. And, and reach more people. Well, with your number four, that reminds me of a line I, for my sermon for Sunday when we're talking about this uh, immeasurably more, that God will do immeasurably more than we ask or imagine mission sermon. And, uh, you know, this is one of my philosophies because you know me, I like doing a lot of stuff. I may not do it well. I may not put a lot of time into planning it, but I do a lot of effort into it. And my philosophy, and I think it's the same with this, is I like my way of doing something better than your way of doing nothing. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, for, for the critics, and I understand there's questions, and I certainly understand there's challenges. Um, but for the critics, you're like, okay, well, what is your plan to reach more people with the gospel? Right. What Be is your plan for Lake Indiana? Yeah. You know, what what is your yeah, two things I'm thinking of with that is, uh, one is, you know, you might have 30 people in a church, you know, and those 30 people, they're just being fed, and they're using a pastor to do that because they have uh, a, a large endowment, their congregation is wealthy enough to be able to pay a pastor, but that's all they do is just come and be fed, versus a mission church that now those are 30 people who are going out not just coming to be fed, but they're going out with the gospel to grow the church. And so, yeah, there, I heard a statistic at our mission board meeting last Friday. I had never heard before that the life of churches in America historically have been about 50 years. Yeah. So there are a lot of churches that hang on a lot longer than that. And maybe they don't need to be. And we just have to be frank and realistic about it. Yeah, if you're hanging on because there's plenty of opportunity and good ministries going on and it's 50 plus years or 150.
50 years, then good, keep, keep doing it. If you're hanging on for the sake of nostalgia or you, know, you think your, your great-grandfather that started the church wouldn't be happy, I, I don't know that's such a, such a good reason. And one of the things I'm going to talk to the pastors about, you know, because I'm sure they're going to ask these kind of questions about, you know, where are we going to get the pastors from for this? Where are we going to get the money for this initiative? And just remind them that in their home, home congregations, if their voters approve something that they're not really on board with as a pastor, yet they go along with it. Because they have, because they need to, because they're part of the body of Christ. Christ is the head. The body of Christ moves along with the head, and so now we're just looking at a larger body than a local congregation. We're looking at the synod, and as a synod, we have said this is what we want to do, and so we can't have the naysayers. We can have the questioners. That's like you said. We can have people who are wondering about how to do this, but we have to all be on board as a body of Christ. You can't have that one foot that's dragging behind and slowing everything down. You know, if we said as a body of Christ, this is what we're doing. Let's get on board and do it. And I think Mark Gab, who is our BHM chairman, he's stated it very well is, Hey, if we shoot for a hundred, but we only get 75 new starts going in, in 10 years, that's 75 new starts. Yep. Yep. Exactly. You got anything else, Jeremy, you want to ask Wayne on this? Uh, no, no, but I think you pretty well covered it. Okay. You want to get into the gospel lesson then, Jeremy? Yeah. Luke 18, Jesus told them a parable about the need to always pray and not lose heart. There was a judge in a certain town who did not fear God and did not care about people. There was a widow in that town, and she kept going to him, saying, Give me justice from my adversary. For some time he refused, but after a while he said to himself, Even though I do not fear God or care about people, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will give her justice so that she will not wear me out with her endless pleading. The Lord said, Listen to what the unjust judge says. Will not God give justice to his chosen ones? who are crying out to him day and night? Will he put off helping them? I tell you that he will give them justice quickly. However, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? So Wayne, why did the unjust judge in Jesus' story finally give in and help the helpless widow? Because of the uh, pleading, the constant pleading that he must have found irritating, um, but he finally gave in just, just a quieter. Yeah. And there I was thinking about, you know, the kid that goes, mom, 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 mom. And there, you know, my wife is very wise. Another mission counselor, Wayne, uh, my mission counselor, when I was in the mission setting in Radcliffe was Jim Radloff. And he reminded me as soon as he met me and got to know me and Shelly, he said, you know, Mike, it's good that you married above yourself. And Shelly being above me as far as uh, wisdom and so forth with all four of our girls, she taught all four to learn how to say dad before mom. 
And the mm -hmm. reasoning for that was so that in the middle of the night at 2 a.m. when they would cry, they would go, dad, dad, you know, they're like the widow and the unjust judge. Dad has to get out of bed and he is the one that takes care of them. All right. Wow. That was you did marry a bow. That's a smart lady. She is a smart lady. Well, I mean, her first show of wisdom was marrying me. So, yeah. uh, okay. Jeremy, is Jesus saying then in this parable that God is like the unjust judge? Obviously, he wants us to think of some kind of a compare a point of comparison uh, because that, that's he's teaching us about prayer and the one that we make our petitions to is not an unjust judge, but it's God. But there must be something, uh, some kind of carryover between the two. Um, I think the answer you're looking for, though, is um, no, that, that God is just and he, God is just and, uh, and and he's not annoyed by hearing us uh, pray to him like the, the judge was. Right. The Holy Spirit, you know, he lays this out for us through Luke, who sets up the parable saying Jesus told him about a parable about the need to always pray and not lose heart. It's when we press each point in a parable too much. That's when we get into false doctrine. Uh, you know, what he's what Jesus is teaching us is to be persistent in prayer, like Abraham praying for Sodom, like uh Jacob wrestling with God in the evening, which is our Old Testament lesson for this Sunday. It's being consistent in prayer, like Jesus, who goes off onto a mountain or to the Garden of Gethsemane or off by himself to pray. Or like Paul, who in so many of his, of his epistles says, I'm praying for you. That's the key of being persistent. So then, Wayne, what is Jesus teaching, about, teaching us about prayer through the parable of the unjust judge? Well, he's, like you said, he's he's teaching us to uh, come to him often, early and often, and trust with confidence that he hears us, and that if an unjust judge listens, how much more somebody who is full of mercy is going to listen to his people. And so he wants us to pray, live a life of prayer, uh, pray unceasingly. And to have that confidence that this caring uh, God that we have is listening and is able to help and, and hear our prayer and, and deliver for our good. And I think a point, too, is that he's teaching us about justice here. I talked to my eighth grade catechism students about this this morning as we were studying the 10 plagues. And I asked the students, so is God being cruel here? You know, you know, wiping out animals and crops and the firstborn and so forth. And they knew the right answer was no. And I, I helped them out to say, no, God is being just that he is bringing about justice for us, that we should be excited that God backs us up. And I told them that so much of the Psalms is the psalmist calling out for justice. And, uh, you know, the, the unjust judge, even though he doesn't want to, he's going to bring justice for this widow. And Jesus is going to 
is, is telling us that God brings justice when God's enemies come at us as Christians. Jeremy, what is Jesus telling his disciples to pray for? Uh, well, I don't know if this is the answer you're driving at, but uh, it kind of seems to me like he's not very specific about what it is that we ask. Um, he he kind of leaves even, even the terrible part with the widow and the judge very generic and the ad for whoever her enemy was. Uh, he doesn't really say what you know, specific thing she wanted recompense from her enemy for. Um, and maybe there's a lesson in there about how uh, Jesus says, ask and you shall receive. He doesn't say, ask for this and this and you shall receive. He just says, ask and you shall receive. Um, uh, it, but uh, maybe maybe what you're driving at with this question is um, justice, that God would balance the scales of justice. Is that is that what you wanted? Yeah, yeah, I kind of talked about the justice a little bit, but sometimes God will bring about justice through the sword of the government, but sometimes God brings justice upon the government when it's not doing what it's supposed to be doing. Uh, the gospel lesson from the last Sunday was of God, Jesus saying he'll bring justice on the millstone wearing miscreants who are causing children to sin, uh, justice upon Christians. Uh, you know, Jeremy, you and Wayne and I were talking before we started recording about uh, a brother in the ministry, Aaron Strong, that was killed uh, yesterday by a, you know, an accident in Milwaukee because someone drove through uh, a stoplight or a stop sign. So talking about Aaron, you know, where is the justice when we cry out for, to God in prayer? And, and I think I agree with Jeremy that I don't think this particular parable is only about justice, no. but certainly it is something on all of our minds and especially in the example you gave. And, and so God wants us to come to him with our questions and our why lords, and this doesn't make any sense. And, and what about uh, his, his wife and children and uh, family members and friends, you know, how are they supposed to get along now? Uh, Lord, hear the, our prayers, our constant prayers, and and give that family justice, um, and and give them peace on earth and and peace and comfort in in the knowledge of the resurrection. But we pray nonstop uh, for people like that, or ourselves, or. Uh, what's going on in our nation, or or you name it, and and we can ask God for justice because that's on all of our minds. You want to add anything to that, Jeremy? No, uh, yeah, I, I thought it was well said. I I guess I was just thinking of how uh, it, it's it's weird how the conversation becomes something after the fact. But we kind of want to make it about something before the fact, like justice is, yeah, eventually balance the scales of the guy that ran the red light and, and plowed into an innocent person's car and killed them. Um, we want that justice balanced. But there's also the, the little flesh in the back of our minds that says, but God, you, you could have intervened. You could have done something and yet you didn't. So why didn't you? And uh that is um, 
I, I think the point I'm trying to get at is that God wants to have a conversation with us. And, and even if it's, even if it's kind of annoying, like this widow, uh, annoying the judge, uh, even if it seems to us like it would be annoying him, he still says, uh, I want to, I'm glad that you're talking to me. I'm just glad to have any kind of a chat with you. Sure. And the person we're talking about is Aaron Strong, who is, was a pastor at Grace in downtown Milwaukee, you know, 40 years old. And, you know, I think what you're talking about there, Jeremy, is, you know, we're going to ask lots of questions that Aaron's wife and his kids, his brothers in the ministry uh, and so forth, are going to ask the question, why? And we can keep on asking why. And yet God took Aaron home to heaven. That was his plan. And there, I, I often tell a story about uh, Carol, who is a member in my congregation in Kentucky, that she was in an awful car accident in Michigan. And uh, in that car accident, her husband died. She, she lost like several inches because so many of her bones were broken and replaced with titanium. And then she ended up living down in Radcliffe with her son, John. And, you know, the story could end there. And yet, you know, I preached this for her funeral that looking back, you might be able to see some of God's plan as we keep asking why we're like, we're the persistent widow. And we might be able to see some of the reasons why is that because she, her husband died, she had to move to Radcliffe, but being in Radcliffe, she wanted to find a Lutheran church. The Missouri Synod church of which she belonged to wasn't close enough. So she came to the Wells Church, my church, and then John had to bring her. So then John's wife, Cindy, came and she was confirmed. John became a member. He became our treasurer for life. Their three adopted children were baptized and confirmed. Their grandson was baptized and so forth. And all of these things only happened because of a tragic accident. And we can continue to ask why. And sometimes we can look later on in life and look backwards and see we might be able to understand why, but other times we're just like that persistent widow, like you guys are talking about, just saying why. And like you said, Jeremy, of God just wants us talking to him and he may not always give us the answers. In verses seven and eight, Wayne, Jesus indicates three reasons why God is more likely to give help to his people than the judge in the parable. What, what are three reasons that you might be able to find there? Well, you know, the first one is um, that, it's, that it's God, and he's, he's not an unjust judge. He's, he's full of mercy. And, and then it talks about his chosen ones. So um, we know that, you know, God in his grace uh, has chosen us um, to uh, believe in him, and he knows we are his children. And so we're, we're not the uh, annoying, um, you know, as was mentioned before, uh, bothersome people. We're, we're not even the bothersome child um, uh, in the middle of the night that wants a dad or a mom. We're, we're, we're God's chosen people. We're his special people. Um, we're receivers of his gift of grace, and he loves us. And so he wants us to come to us, and we kind of made that point. Um, how he wants us to have that conversation, even if it's a conversation uh, that he understands we will never understand uh, with our limited knowledge. And then finally, the, you know, who are crying out to him day and night, 
persistence, um, just the confidence to, to, to keep coming back to him again and again and again. There's no one better to go to. So we're going to keep coming to you, Lord. I pray to you about this tonight. I'm praying about you this afternoon. I'm going to pray to you about it this evening, too. Um, those are just at least the three reasons I saw. Sure. Yeah. And my third reason is God is quick to act. Verse eight, he says, I tell you that he will give them justice quickly. He doesn't put off helping. It may seem like he's putting off helping, but he's not. Jeremy, Jesus asks, when the son of man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Why did Jesus wonder whether he'll find faith on the earth when he comes? This is a good question. Uh, well, thanks. The, I, I think the, uh, the thought that I've had whenever I've read this is uh, that Jesus is talking here about prayer and he's, he's giving us a big old blank check of uh, God's grace that we get to come to him and ask for anything. Uh, and and he, he says, ask and you shall receive. And so I think maybe you could see people, you know, little dollar signs popping up in people's eyes, maybe not necessarily for money specifically, but uh, just other things that, that it's stuff. I want to have stuff. I want to get things I want. And, and, and maybe it's even a nobler side of it than that. Not even stuff, but uh, people that I want a person in my life. You know, I want, I want a spouse or I want uh, grandchildren or, or who knows what I, I want. I want things to be given to me. And Jesus with this whole parable is saying, yes, you have a God who chose you and who is going to uh, take care of your justice, take care of your needs. Um, but I think the, the more important thing is, are you, are you, are you trusting him? And that's kind of what uh, Jesus throws, throws our way at the end of the parable. He says, you, you know, you've got those dollar signs in your eyes, but uh do you also have uh, trust in your heart that, that you're, you're confident that God is going to follow through on all these things? Have either of you guys watched the movie, the book of Eli? Yes. Okay. You guys both know it. So I just thought of that as Jeremy was talking about, you know, will there faith, uh, will the son of man find faith on the earth? You know, the implied answer is yes, but not much. And in that book of Eli, Denzel Washington's character, Eli, he seems to be like one of the only few people left on the face of the earth, at least that setting as North America that has faith in God. And he's protecting that book, which a spoiler alert is the Bible, which is all in Braille. You know, thankfully, Eli is blind, which you don't find out until the end of it the movie and then he is the one that can can read it but you know since we have you here wayne and with this question will there be faith on the earth when jesus comes i think we kind of see in in america at least that churches are on the decline that faith is waning so then why does it make it so hard and yet also so vital be, to be starting all these new churches well, uh, first of all, uh, congratulations on making a movie reference that wasn't a Star Wars. Um, and that's, I'm impressed. And then uh, secondly, I think that, um, you know, again, 
these are the worst of times and the best of times to, to start new missions. The worst because it seems like, you know, Christianity isn't something that people are interested in anymore. All the numbers are down all across the board on not only uh, people interested and believing in God and the God of the Bible um, and Jesus as the son of God, but also uh, even regular, you know, uh, faithful Christians, not even attending uh, as frequently as possible. So that makes it the worst of times, but it's the best of times because of that, you know, and if we have to kind of evangelize America and think of in the same way we send missionaries to Africa or Japan um, or other places where we go up, oh, it's only pagan religion there. We need to, you know, spread the truth of the gospel. We have to do that in America now. And so this is right mission fields and, and in every mission field, there's going to be people that have hardened their hearts, um, but there's also going to be people that are kind of lost and confused and not sure what to believe and what to think. And now here, here comes somebody in another community saying, you know, this is the word of the Lord and, and pointing them to Jesus. So let's apply that then to, to you in your setting then, Jeremy, is uh, you know, I asked Wayne about starting new churches. Why is a school like Shoreland so important? Where do you see the need in a time when it seems like you're not finding a lot of faith on earth? Why is Shoreland such a beacon of light in that, in the darkness? Because uh, young people are so impressionable as, uh, as Jesus said, that he made, he made a very big deal about not misleading little ones uh, and of course, with a high school setting, they're not quite so little. They're they're actually on the verge of adulthood, but uh, but still, they are impressionable, and uh, they will a lot of time. Even though they may seem you know rebellious and uh, uh, snotty about it, uh, actually they they do listen to a lot of the things that you say, and. Um, that, that means you need that I need to take it seriously when I say stuff uh, because uh, uh, there are there are kids out there that will take it as gospel truth, which it is. And uh, that, that's that's why we need Christian education. Well, just before we start recording, I had gone on the Racine Library to renew some books I was I was reading. And I, the first thing I saw was this. And then I posted on Facebook and I said, this is why. Uh, we put all the prayers and time and money and effort into Wisconsin Lutheran School and Shoreland Lutheran High School is because of what the library is promoting today. It said, Whis Whispering Closets, National Coming Out Day. Share your coming out story with Racine Public Library in celebration of National Coming Out Day. That's just one thing that's going on in society. And But when the darkness... Uh, becomes more enveloping then the light shines brighter and when it becomes harder well then we treasure that gospel in every soul even more so i, I had a god i had a uh, baptism this sunday at the caledonia campus and i was rejoicing partly because well mainly because i was baptizing this two-year-old but also as the first baptism i've had at that baptismal font being the pastor of the merged church uh but you know this is a family that's all in that just 
for whatever reason for their whole married life were not looking for a church and now they are and now you know they are like i said they're all in they're halfway through the classes and we rejoice with those kinds of uh those kinds of results last question i have for you guys is either one of you can answer this in both jesus taught the disciples how to pray that's the way luke sets it up why doesn't prayer come naturally to us Well, uh, I'll jump in uh, because naturally we're so self-reliant. You know, we think that we are the answer to all of our our problems. And so we're going to try to fix this ourselves. And so naturally we're not looking uh, for outside help always. And um, that's true of our, our religious spiritual life for sure. Um, we don't we want to try to save ourselves naturally. Um, and we want to try to help ourselves, whether we're dealing with what we call, you know, injustice here on earth or other problems. We want to, you know, pull up the bootstraps and, and fix this all on our own. You want to add anything to that, Jeremy? No, I, yeah, I think he pretty well summed it up. Okay. Well, then, uh, unless you guys have anything else to add, why don't we get into the epistle lesson? The epistle is 1 John 5, and uh, St. John writes, I have written these things to you who believe in the name of the Son of God, so that you may know that you have eternal life. This is the confidence that we have before him, that if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us, and if we know that he hears us, whatever we ask, we also know that we receive the things we have asked from him. So, Jeremy, Satan tries to rob us of our confidence. He's constantly attacking us, asking, are you sure? To what two things does John point out that will deepen our confidence to always be able to say, to say yes, I'm sure? Uh, one of them is just the, the writing itself. He says, I have written these things to you. Uh, and then uh, the other one is, um, I, I don't know if this is your intent here, but um, it, is it the fact that um, you can you can ask for something and then you get it and that, that's kind of like a, a modern miracle that you, God, God gave you what you asked for. Like you have some proof. Like I prayed, and then God gave this to me, and and that's another vote of confidence. Yeah, and He says, if we ask anything according to His will, that God's will is what God wants, and that's why we want to be in God's Word so much because it reveals what God wants us to believe and do, and that's why Jesus prayed in the garden of Gethsemane, not my will, but yours be done. Uh, and since we're praying for God's will to be done, we know that we have what we have asked of him, whether that answer is a yes or no or a wait. So Wayne, how are knowledge and confidence connected? Well, even in life, right? You, you, you ask a dependable, trustworthy friend when you really need something. Because you know they will come through for you. You you might have 
a friend that you really like and enjoy, but they've disappointed you in the past. Um, they're not very reliable, so you don't ask them. <laughs> um, but if, if we know God and just how good and wise and strong and powerful and compassionate and full of mercy he is and how forgiving and how uh, welcoming he is, and, and we have that knowledge, and of course that only comes through being built up in the word, um, then, then we're going to, okay, now I got confidence. I'm talking to the right person. I'm talking to God himself. And I think this is why Bible study is so important. I think a lot of our longtime members think that, you know, going to Bible study, I, I know all that stuff. I know I've heard people haven't said this to me, but other pastors have said that they've heard people say, well, when I stop believing what God's word says, then I'll show up in church or when I have questions. No, you show up so that you can have the knowledge. And then once you have the knowledge, then you have the confidence. It's like the adults I have in my adult confirmation class or the eighth graders I have in my catechism class that they're building up their knowledge. They're building up their confidence for them to be able to speak, but also their knowledge and confidence to be able to talk to God about prayer in prayer. So, Jeremy, how confident can we be when we ask God for something in prayer? Uh, supremely. <laughs> That's a good eighth grade answer. That's exactly what they would say. Uh, yeah, I, I, I struggle to find the, the no answer in this, uh, the no answer to prayer in this uh, section of scripture or any section of scripture for that matter. Um, and I, and I, I think that's because God doesn't want us talking negatively about that. Uh, that's not to say like that God is a, a vending machine or a genie that just grants wishes, but um, he does want you to be confident and uh, when when you are asking according to his will, maybe, maybe I should maybe I should back up and do what uh, John Gerhardt said. Uh, what he was saying about prayer is that um, if we're asking for something that is contrary to uh, what God has revealed to us, then we should be absolutely certain we will not get it. Uh, if we are asking for something that might or might not be. Uh, pleasing to God, then uh, that's how confident we should be of getting that. And if we're asking for something that God has explicitly told us uh, to to ask for, then we should be perfectly confident of getting that. So then with that, you know, when we're looking at 110, if we realize, hey, we don't in 10 years from now, so in 2033, and we didn't get 100 new missions, does that mean that wasn't God's will? Any of you guys want to touch that? I think the uh, important word in verse 14 is according to, and there's a difference between things being God's will and things being according to God's will. I want to say that again. There's a difference between things being God's will and things being according to God's will. Uh, God's will, if something is God's will, then it has to happen. He is not, it's not going to not happen. Um, according to his will, well, that could be like, I mean, if we use our 100 and uh, nuts, 110. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Okay. 
110 uh, number, uh, that's not against God's will. That's also not the same thing as saying this is God's will that there be 110 new Wells churches. But it, so therefore we would say it's according to God's will uh, that, that uh, this, this is, uh, so I mean, you, you think of, uh, I don't know, you could think of lots of examples. I'll let, I'll let somebody else talk though. Well, yeah, so it's according to God's will that his kingdom come. It may not be according to his will that, you know, a hundred churches start, but but according to his will that we he does want churches to start. He does I'm, want us to go out. When I said I'll let somebody gospel. else talk, I, I, I actually meant uh, Pastor Olhorn. Well, you got to be more specific. Thanks. <laughs> yeah, it's tough being the third wheel on this on this podcast. You know, you might you might not get your, your word in, but um and and hey, we're, if we're talking boldness and confidence, you know, what if we get 130 new mission starts in 10 years, right? Maybe that's what we should be talking about. But you're you're right. It it it's God's will that we spread His saving name, that that His kingdom come to us and to others. It we don't know what His will is. He has not revealed that to us about exactly how many missions He wants to. You know our tiny little church body to start, um, but we just go according to His will. We ask Him for certain things, and we have perfect confidence that He hears us. And and whatever the answer is, it was the right answer. So I'll put you guys on the spot. This is a difficult one. Is that you know there are, there are pastors and teachers that when they send in their letters saying they are going to be uh, returning or accepting a call, sometimes they write in, well, it is God's will that I stay here or it's God's will I'm accepting this call. So is that proper or improper use of God's will then? There was a, a good paper written by now President Gurgle of Martin Luther College, then seminary professor Gurgle that, that really addressed that and kind of asked called workers to reconsider using phrases like that um, because really you're making a choice, a sanctified choice, one that you arrived at, a decision that you arrived at after a lot of prayer, a lot of good uh, conversations with brothers and sisters in Christ, but ultimately you made a decision and uh, we don't know because it hasn't been revealed that this was God's exact will. It's, it's when you're serving in your called position, and you have those pangs of doubt whether you're really the right person for the job, that's when you fall on, on the promises of God that this is a divine call. You are where he wants you right now. Um, but but uh, it probably says too much to say it's God will that, God's will that I stay here or it's God's will that I leave here. You want to add to that, Jeremy? No, that was perfect. Yeah, because I and that's just something that I've I've seen because I've got lots of return letters uh, to be the associate here at Water of Life, and some of those they do have that language of it's God's will that I stay and do this ministry here, and you know I I agree with you guys that it may be according to God's will, but it could have been God's will that you come here too. Uh, it's God's will that God's kingdom has come, but we don't necessarily know that will unless it's revealed to us in scripture. 
Now, now, if you really want that position filled, though, Michael, you can you can take that wording and say it's God's will that you accept this call and see where they go with that. <laughs> yeah, uh, I don't know if that's going to work either. <laughs> nothing else, but nothing else has worked either. Right, right. Is there anything else you guys want to bring up on the topic of prayer at all? I mean, we didn't touch on the Genesis text, but Jacob wrestling with God in prayer all evening. Nope, nothing else. Well, that's what it, his name means. Rest, he, he, the God wrestler, Israel. Yeah. Okay. Well, then we can wrap it up there. Uh, so then this is Michael Zarling with Wayne Leitonen, with oh Wayne Uhlhorn, and we've had Wayne Leitonen on so much, with Wayne Uhlhorn uh, and Leitonen, your, uh, Leitonen years away. Let the one who is thirsty come. Let the one who wants the water of life take it as a gift. Stay thirsty, my friends, then drink deeply from the water of life.